everyone and welcome back to the Finger Guns Podcast, episode 240. You're probably thinking, Ross, why do you sound so monotone? Are you ill? No, it's just me, Josh, taking over the hosting duties for the next couple of weeks or episodes whilst we say adios to Ross. Um, he's taken some well-deserved time off in Spain to see family, so basala or bien, Roscoe. Um, however, joining me as always is the terror from of Taunton. It's Kat. Wait, what? You're saying she's not here either? She's on holiday. Oh. Okay, well, whilst we don't have Kat uh, today, <laughs> uh, we can at least rely on the young Padawan that is Miles. He's gone too! Oh. So, my podcast hosting duties has made my guests disappear. I made my guests disappear. Celebrations aside, if this is a shorter app and you finish it before you commute to work or whatever you do, just play it back, it's fine. There are some Easter eggs you'll find after a second listen through, I, I promise you. Uh, but uh, let's get into game of the week shall we seeing as I don't have to introduce absolutely anyone anymore um, I did write a little bit because I'm trying to talk through a script but this has thrown me off because the embargo is not what I thought it was uh, as this goes out uh, Banishers Ghost of New Eden has just released it's a, a you know unveiled its embargo so I can now talk about it um, I have just posted the review up as as of uh, this recording um, so I was going to talk about it next week uh, and I still might do that because I've still got a couple of things that I want to talk about um, so you may have not may or may have not seen my reviews for Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League and now Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth um, they're both up they're two very different games both almost impossible to beat on a tight schedule and one of them I'd thoroughly recommend uh, but you'll have to read both to find out the verdict it's a cheeky plug there for you um, no but honestly Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth uh, I think when I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago um, I had a lot of nice things to, to say about it despite only being a, a mere few hours in um, and the you know it was a bit of a slow start but as the ball keeps rolling as the game keeps continuing um Honestly, it's just probably one of the best RPGs I've ever played. Um, there's just so much to enjoy. Uh, I really love the new kind of turn-based combat that they've put in through the last two games. And, and this version of it, compared to the last game, um, it's just so much more refined. It's so nice to, to play. And um, yeah, it just is seamless and it's... Uh, really effective and it really doesn't take away from that sort of action heavy RGG style that you're used to if you've played um, other Yakuza's in the series. Um, if anything it kind of um, sort of enhances the experience a little bit because you get to just enjoy the visuals of how chaotic the combat can be whether or not you're um, smashing someone's head against the car or you're throwing a bike at someone like you just really get to enjoy it all and there's so many more modes to it that I thought there was going to be um, there's Dondoko Island which is almost like an Animal Crossing ripoff and you kind of 
basically build your own resort from scratch. You kind of clean it up nice and then add all this furniture and all these nice sites to see. Um, and that could alone could be like a game in itself because of how long it is. Um, and I barely scratched the surface with that mode because I was just trying to power through the story. And the story is phenomenal. If you love the series, then you're going to absolutely love this um, because it just brings all of it all together. It makes the ensemble even bigger from Japan to Hawaii. Um, and yeah, I absolutely love it. Like I said, I think maybe last week's episode, I said I stand on Ichiban Kasuga being one of the best protagonists ever in video games. And uh, this game definitely solidifies that. So, um, yeah. Um, but if I've not been playing that, I've not been playing my review games, <coughs> I did get time to check out the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth demo um, because I said to myself, do you know what? I'm going to wait until release. I don't need to play it. Uh, but I was completely wrong. Who am I fooling? I, if you're a fan of the games themselves, I'm sure you've already played them too. Um, so the demo I got to play was the flashback sequence of Nibelheim. Uh, for those unfamiliar, it's Cloud and Tifa's hometown. And it's also home for one of the biggest Marco reactors, uh, which is why I see uh, we see both Cloud and Sephiroth investigating it through the story. Um, uh, that's as much as I'll say because it's probably one of the pivotal moments that you play out in the original game. It kind of has like a really watershed moment for you and for Sethroth as a character. Um, you really get his motivations and moving forward you have a different lens on the biggest villain. Um, so, you know, if you've played the original or even if you've had seen the remake or played the remake, you'll kind of know why. Um, but for me, it just... The nostalgia hits perfectly um you get to play as cloud uh, both cloud and sephiroth in combat which is just so fun sephiroth lives obviously lives up to the hype of being one of the most dangerous villains with his fast bludgeoning combat uh you can tell this is a dude who's over leveled on purpose to feel that powerful and then cloud is just like wasting wasting his time trying to impress uh by uh, breaking a sweat and my goodness there is a line in there <laughs> where he calls him a puppy um uh, and yeah you could get feelings over it <laughs> um the music specifically like Nibelheim's theme just gave me goosebumps uh they've recreated the soundtrack so perfectly uh and speaking of one of the mini games teased was the ability to play on Tifa's piano um and you can do that in the demo uh, you either just play at the keys at your leisure from the different pitches to different chord groupings. You can tell I'm not a pianist. Or you can try a song from the game and play the Guitar Hero style mode by pressing the notes at the right time. Um, and, well, it, it looks stunning. This is the first time Fidelity mode at the cost of lower frame rate actually made a difference. Um, I've become quite spoilt with the with being able to play at 60 frames at the cost of like the shiny graphics because it never felt that much of a jump. Um, but visually, night and day if you play between fidelity and performance, and I might just stick with fidelity with this one. Um, I you know I just can't get. I can't wait for the game to come out on the 29th this month. Um, of course, I've already pre-ordered it, the Fancy Deluxe version and what have you. Um, there's also going to be a second demo, um, I believe, that shows off some of the more open world design. Uh, this demo is quite linear, cutscene heavy, which for me was enough to experience such a, pri uh, such a pivotal moment prior to release. Um, but I was already excited, but, but now I'm clawing at the furniture, <laughs> shaking in my straight jacket to play it. Um, 
you know, seeing as I'm alone on this one, I'd love to hear for your games of the week. Um, on our website, you'll find the post for this podcast. Feel free to comment what you've played, what you liked about it, and I'll read about it on next week's episode because Ross is not here to stop me. <laughs> Um, this would be the portion where we would do a quiz but uh, what is a quiz when you're alone kind of just reading facts really Um, so what I'm going to do is I'll do a crossword and when I finish I will cut done oh god is that the sound sorry about that hopefully next week we'll be back and picture focused for an audio platform more than ever Um, but for now let's get into the news of the week And once again, we've got Ubisoft making headlines for sounding ridiculous because, you know, big surprise. Um, Ubisoft CEO Ilz Gamon defends the $70 price tag uh, for their latest game, Skull and Bones, despite it being a live service game because it's a quadruple A game. Um, this all came out during a Q&A session during Ubisoft's Q3 sales conference call, um, kind of where all the bigwigs of the company and the investors get to talk together and talk money, how much of it did they make, um, uh, how much of profit <laughs> during the third quarter of the year was. Um, this is from the VGC article, Chris Gullion writes, The caller asked why Ubisoft insisted on charging $70 for the game and potentially limiting the size of its player base, suggesting a free-to-play model may better suit the live service mechanics and give it a better chance of building a community. Gilmore replied with an assertion that Skull & Bones deserved to be a full-price game because of its scale. You will see this. You will see that Skull and Bones is a fully fledged game. He said it's a very big game, and we feel that people will really see how vast and complete that game is. It's really full, triple, quadruple A game that will deliver in the long run. Uh, <laughs> if um, you've been on this podcast long enough, listening to us, you know that we have extensively clowned on Skull and Bones throughout its course of development. Um, not because we vehemently hate the game or Ubisoft to, to that matter, um, despite being extremely li- unlikable as a company. Um, just because we've seen Skull and Bones for years and it's been delayed for years and it's not Assassin's Creed Black Flag 2, it's a pirate game on its own two feet. But we like Assassin's Creed. Um, The VGC article goes into more detail, more eloquently than us, about its development woes. um, How they brought in Elizabeth Pellin as the game's third creative director, only to get the boot for not reaching its initial 2018 release date, which was five years ago. (laughs) Um, And this is probably after successfully steering the ship into the game we are seeing today. Um... So the question really is, what is a AAA if this is now a quadruple A? Um, well, AAA is like an informal term used to basically exting- uh, distinguish what the big companies release. Um, that's why you also hear the term AA. Um, it means nothing. It's truly, truly arbitrary uh, to call anything, any like, you know, AAA, AA. It's, it doesn't mean anything to anyone apart from uh, the big companies. Um this is it's just to establish dominance into their scene to make sure that they can warrant the excuse to price the games that they they do. Um, obviously, we're talking about seventy dollars. Or um, I checked Games website; it's sixty four ninety nine pounds, um, and that's you know that's hefty money. You know, uh, you know we like I just clowned on AAA as a verbiage. Um, but you know, God of War, AAA, 
uh, The Last of Us Part Two, AAA. Um, Starfield is a AAA, but that was on Game Pass. Um, but these these games, they all have that sort of seventy dollar, sixty pounds price tag these days. Um, they've kind of taken a step up in this generation, um, as opposed to the PS4 and the Xbox One era, um, and. You know, the excuses for that is that um, it's more expensive to make games more than ever. Development cycles take longer, more than ever. I think there was a report maybe last year somewhere where they basically, like a development studio or someone from there basically said that um, games now, if you're talking at the AAA spectrum, will have a five-year development cycle minimum and could go up to almost 10 years. Um, and that is a long time to employ people, long time to develop a game in general. Um, and I think that's kind of why their justification for it is to bump up the price because they're spending more time making it, which costs more money to make. So they must have at least a kind of a fraction of what they think they earn or deserve um, to be part of that. Um, you know, it, it is what it is with all of that. Um, I think, you know, we've spoken about Ubisoft countless times about how their practices are a bit weird and a bit iffy if they're not, you know, <laughs> doing even worse things that could get them in legal trouble. Um, but yeah, the idea that they're kind of hiring and firing creative directors, um, without, like a, a you know like a a steady idea of what they want the game to be they just i think basically at the start of it they were like we want to make a pirate game that's online and that we can monetize it um, because that's what live service games are they are vehicles for monetization so you have obviously gear that could be bought through the store you could have a, a currency that makes no sense by using your your real money to then buy the currency, to then use that currency within a game, buy items and what have you to make you better in the game, to maybe be better than someone else in the game. And that's kind of like their sort of incentive to uh, keep going at that rate um, because, they, you know, everyone wants to be better than someone to a certain extent when it comes to video games. You always want to be the winner. You don't want to lose. So they kind of you know, have used this idea to then make games based around that, that competition, the ability to just pay to win, essentially. That's the term of phrase that's kind of common. Um, and it's weird. Um, you know, Ubisoft, it's probably not the first time. I can't remember right now if there was any games that have live service elements, but for sure there's definitely been practices for, of... Um, monetization for sure um but yeah uh <laughs> normally we kind of close this out and ross can segue seamlessly because he's a professional but you know i'm not really on that <laughs> level um so following on from some more uh, ubisoft news we have even more ubisoft news um let's all cheer and clap except not because the sales for Assassin's Creed Nexus were disappointing. Um, this is from Eurogamer. This is Liv Nyong. Um, 
In response to a caller question on Ubisoft's future plans for VR, Gilmour said the company is not increasing our investment on VR at the moment because it needs to take off. The area still remains a niche for gaming, and this translated to the sales of Nexus VR, which fell below expectations. We have been disappointed by what we are able to achieve on, achieve on VR with Assassin's Creed, Gilmore said, mainly because Assassin's Creed Nexus VR didn't sell as we expected. <coughs> Gilmore won't say, went on to say the game did okay, but we thought it would sell more. The lower-than-expected sales have prompted Ubisoft to, at the very least, not invest in VR anymore and it is, than it has done previously. <clears throat> so, yeah, um, not very good for Assassin's Creed fans or VR fans. Um, it, I mean, with the innovations that are going on currently with VR headsets, I think um, Apple have kind of proven themselves at this sort of augmented reality VR experience. Um if you've got the money, is something that's kind of cool. Um, it can be done for different things. Um, please don't walk down the street with it on your head, walking a <laughs> electric dog or whatever, because um, you look silly and you'll end up on Twitter. And maybe it was the point to end up on Twitter and to be um, laughed at, because it's viral marketing at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I want to preface that uh, Assassin's Creed Nexus, the VR game, um, it was only sold on a few editions of the MetaQuest, so like the 2, the 3, and Pro, I think. Um, and there are so many other platforms which could have helped spread that sales figure. Um, like, you know, I've got a PSVR 2. If I knew that uh, Assassin's Creed was coming to it, chances are, despite not having played an Assassin's Creed in a while, I would have probably picked this up. Um, maybe not day one, maybe you try to look for a sale, um, but I would definitely, definitely have given it a shot at some point. Um, and I know it's very difficult, um, especially in VR space, to create a game that transfers across all the platforms because VR has so many different types of controls, it has so many... Um, like the peripheral, the headset alone is different from terms of its fidelity, its frame rate, and you've always got to have it on so it works to a point where you're not feeling nauseous and you're not feeling sick, and that's a very hard thing to achieve. Um, and this, you know, this differs and of through every headset. So, you know, it's a big task to open it up to more platforms for sure. But Ubisoft, being you know the company that do quadruple A games now, you know, you would have thought they could have done something at least with the uh, with the money that they have. Um, not from Skull and Bones, because that's not out yet. It's been, you know, it's coming, but it's not out yet. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I thought I'd just add this in because I think it's important to talk about VR because it's definitely not going away. Um, there are innovations that are just currently happening these days for the platform. Um, I don't regret having PSVR 2. Uh, I definitely think there's, there is a space for it and there are some really fun experiences to have on it. And I do see myself coming back often to not necessarily every game, but most of the games that I've got, I do go back to like Beat Saber or, you know, just those arcadey experiences that you can kind of just jump in, jump out. It's not necessarily a narrative. Um, and because, you know, 
the nature of VR is that you do, I mean, at least I do, and I feel like I was very strong with not getting motion sickness and stuff like that. It does wane on you for sure. So to play whole experiences, it does, does, you know, it, it gets a bit much. Um, but yeah, I think this has all come from that same sales report. There's a there's a bit more in there. VGC have done a lot of reporting on the on the conference call, so definitely go check them out. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a weird place for that company. I think um, we were talking about Prince of Persia last week. I think um, how that sold under expectations. Um, however, it's probably one of the best Metroidvanias you will ever play. Um, don't take that from me. That's kind of like what people are talking about. I absolutely love it, though. Um, I've not finished it. I've got, <laughs> I had to jump quickly off it after all these review games. Um, but, yeah, Prince of Persia is something special, and it's from the team that did Rayman Origins, I believe. Um, you know, there are a couple of those 2D Rayman games that came out on uh, previous generations, uh, and they did not necessarily um, sales-wise well, because they've they've now defunct them to other properties, and Rayman hasn't been seen for a decade. Um, but critically, and for the fans, they absolutely loved them. And you can tell the DNA for how they play and stuff like that is completely there. They've elevated the genre with their with Prince of Persia's abilities, but that still wasn't enough for them to create art and to create something that was just generally loved um is not enough uh, it needs to have <laughs> it needs to make money um for them to enjoy it which is sad really um hopefully this isn't a turn for the worst in terms of um what their output is and the quality of their output because they also talked about uh assassin's creed codename red which is the um the title that's set in feudal japan and I want to say that it's closer to, say, the Origin and Valhalla games, where it's open world, more RPG. Um, so that should be fun. That's coming out next year, early next year, I believe, um, th- from the reports of the conference call. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> it needs to at this point. I know the game's probably not ready, but um, with titles like Rise of the Ronin uh, coming out, like next month, like they need to kind of space out this whole setting and vibe and gameplay because it's going to become a saturated market at this point. Um, now, uh, <laughs> for some news that would make Miles happy, uh, Helldivers 2 passed uh, God of War in launch sales thanks to its release also being on Steam. Um, this is Carly Veloci from Polygon. According to SteamDB, uh, Helldivers 2 has reached 81,840 peak concurrent players on Steam, just one day after its release. In brackets, it's since dropped to around 66,000 at the time of this writing, um, but that beats God of War's 2018's previous concurrent peak of 73,529 when it hit PC back in 2022. Um, PlayStation has been looking to expand its offerings beyond just the PlayStation 5, So it's released many first-party games on Steam months or years after the console launch. Just in 2023, it put out Returnal, The Last of Us Part 1 for PC, Horizon Forbidden West, and Until Dawn Remaster are also on their way as well. Um, So, yeah, so let's celebrate Helldivers 2 for having one of the biggest launches for Sony ever. Um, that's, That's cool. 
Um, I think that could possibly mean maybe a bit more from Sony in terms of uh, letting others play with their toys. <laughs> um, I know we talked about last week about Xbox putting their first party games over to um, PlayStation, which we'll, we'll t- I'll talk a little bit more about. We won't. It's just me still. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, the idea that uh, first party might not just be exclusive for Sony is a really exciting premise for just gamers in general. Um, I'd love to see more people play the games that we love when we, well, I <laughs> say we, I'm still only alone. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I think us here at Finger Guns, the majority of us do play PlayStation. Um, not not exclusively, but that's probably our console of choice. That's where we play most of our games if we've got to make a choice. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, I think for the idea of just being able to play um, a first, first party that's concurrent with PC and let PC players with it, fingers crossed it works because the, some of the ports have been disastrous. Um in that quote that I mentioned about The Last of Us Part 1 being on PC, like, yeah, it did, but it launched awfully. Um, I think it got one of IGN's lowest scores because of how bad and buggy it is. Um, So whilst they are making somewhat of an effort, I do think there needs to be more of an effort there in terms of um, how good the quality of their releases are for other platforms. Um, And Helldivers 2... Whilst it has got some bugs on it on Steam, it's also buggy on PlayStation. Um, so it's not perfect all round, which isn't great, but it does mean that they're not kind of, you know, making PlayStation the optimal experience for a game. And they are releasing uh, same versions of it, and they all come with their own problems. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> maybe I'm looking at that glass half full, but that's still better than not having. Uh, a game on launch uh, that's on PlayStation 2. Um, yeah, so that's kind of it f- for news that I've written down. Um, today, there was just the announcement that uh, the Xbox are having a podcast episode release um, on Thursday. Uh, so that's in like two days if you're listening to this on the day of recording. Um, and this is kind of where they're going to lay out the groundwork for their business plans. We talked last week how they were moving their games over onto uh, PlayStation, potentially. They didn't name PlayStation, but, you know, they're already on PC, so where else could they go? Um, Similarly, games like Fable and uh, Hellblade used to have on their storefront exclusively to Xbox um, and PC. Now that it's got... um, releasing on consoles and PC. So they're being intentionally vague about it all. Um, And I think it's because of the initial upset from some of the fanboys and fangirls and fan names. Um, That, yeah, if you're an Xbox player uh, and you've made your allegiance and your allegiance is that pure, you might just be upset that your games are going to be somewhere else. Um, I still don't think PlayStation will reciprocate uh, just yet, Um, but you'll probably hear more from a few of us next week 
after the podcast releases to see what Phil Spencer has to say. I assume it, it's him. Uh, it usually is when it comes to the company facing stuff. He'll always talk about it very candidly. I remember that um, there was a brilliant episode um, that kind of funny put out uh, on the X on the X cast that uh, Phil Spencer was very candid about um, the launch of Redfall and the state of Xbox and Microsoft as a company because of that and what they want to do going forward. Um, so it's good to see that. <clears throat> Phil Spencer is very, very, very business savvy in terms of he's very cutthroat. He'll, you know, there's there were reports that there were layoffs last week from Activision Blizzard um, in the thousands, I think I want to say. Um, and this was after, you know, the deal that they've struck with uh, Xbox and Microsoft for a ridiculous amount of money. Um that comes with its old can of worms where the FTC has been involved and um, said that why would you buy a company if they're sell if they're getting rid of employees? Um, they're trying to say that it was the plan all along, even if they weren't going to sell to Xbox. Um, so it's, it's nasty stuff. Um, and this kind of is like the cherry on the cake, really. Um, whilst <clears throat> we can all be upset about um, Xbox games going elsewhere um, the real upset is that the people that are making these games that we love are getting sacked um, and it's in cold blood and there's no there's no knowing of when it's going to stop because Take-Two have done the same thing um, I don't want to ramble too much longer about it but um, yeah it's, it's, it's a weird place for Xbox right now um, I don't, <laughs> I wish, I, I'm glad I'm not them, <laughs> I'll put that out there, but um, yeah, we'll um, we'll talk more about it next week, um, hopefully it's not just me bouncing around ideas and uh, yapping on, because <laughs> uh, god, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so that's it for game news, um, there's something a little... A little thing that I want to mention, this is not necessarily um, game related, but maybe game journalism related, um, if we've got any of those listeners there. Uh, IGN, uh, the staff of IGN, are trying to create a, um, a union <coughs> for writers, and I think that's a fantastic start. Um, it's definitely needed with the amount of layoffs that happened last year and the continuous state of... Um, journalism and writer's integrity and the growth of AI. Um, it's looking pretty precarious these days to have a job in it. Um, us here at Finger Guns, we are enthusiasts for the uh, for the industry. We do side on the journalisms, um, on the journalistic aspect of it. Uh, we're not a company that make money, uh, but we work as though we do, so we understand the the um, the amount of effort and the amount of hard work that goes in for all those workers. So to unionize, to unionize is always a good thing. Um, I'm glad that's happening. I hope it, it hope it goes through well. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's about as much news as I've got for you. And you're probably sick of me talking about all of that. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna wrap up here a little bit. I'm gonna talk about recommendations. Um, 
I've not really done much else uh, besides playing some of the review games that you've all, I'm sure you've all read my reviews now. <laughs> um, but when I've not been doing that and I've been winding down a little bit, I've been dipping into Taskmaster a little bit. Um, I've watched the most recent season, season 16. Um, and now I'm about halfway through the last season, I think, with uh, Frankie Boyle and... Uh, gosh. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's Frankie Balls in it, <laughs> and Mae Martin, um, and a Claire. I can't remember her first name, so I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, it's a just it's a good old time. It's it's hilarious. The tasks are inventive, and um, yeah, I I'm really enjoying that show. Uh, I hope to not get burnt out because I'm binging it <laughs> like I would uh, a documentary. Um, and I'd also recommend not doing a podcast on your own. I do not how, know how this is going to end up um, reception-wise, um, audio-wise, because this is the first time I'm properly recording. I did do a test footage um, of myself. I hated it. Um, and my recording device doesn't work, so I'm doing this off my microphone on the built-in laptop that I've got. Uh, so I hope there's not a manner of sounds that are going through this, because this is awful. And my God, I have just got to the part where there's an outro that has to happen. I do not have that outro. <laughs> oh, we've even got like a copy and paste of the outro. Um, and I've completely fumbled it by not having the outro to hand right now. Um, so <laughs> let's just wig it, right? Okay. Um, so that was it. For Finger Guns, uh, the podcast and all that. That, that was two, episode 240. This is going to be the most memorable episode you'll ever listen to. Um, uh, if you do like what we do and, look, and especially love what I do, you could head over, head over to Patreon for just $1 a month. You can support us and you can keep the website nice and shiny. I remember he says that. Um, also, we're on socials, uh, things like Twitter, or X or whatever, uh, at F-N-G-R-G-N-S. Um, and we're all on Twitter, except for Miles, because he's smart, uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> all of our handles are linked in the description. And you know what? Why not? We've, be, we've been trying this this year. Um, if you want to give us a review, please do not let this episode alter that score. <laughs> give it a five star if you loved it. Give it a five star if you hated it, because, you know, what's it to you? It's got everything to do with us. <laughs> it helps us get noticed in the search function um, and our visibility on the platform as a whole for like Spotify and Apple uh, and all those podcasting services. Um, so if you do give us a, a review, rate it five stars, please tell them how much you loved this episode in particular, um, because I'm definitely not going to do it again. Um, but that's it from me. Uh, I've been Josh, your host, and your guest, and um, the pool bearer. I don't know. I'm just making up words now. Um, oh, yeah. Do you know what? I was meant to do <laughs> like a spiel about the recommendations where you find something that you did for the last week, uh, blah, blah, blah. That's too late now. Um, <laughs> goodbye, everyone. I hope for a less chaotic, a more proficient episode of the podcast next week where I have some of the guests. Um, I might host again, but... Cat will probably host because she's better. Um, so it's goodbye from me. I hope you enjoyed this. And this was the 
the Finger Guns Podcast.